Minda Wilson with Urgent Care, and my guest today is Marlissa Brown. She is an expert on being healthy and uh, with a special knowledge about the area of gluten-free diets. So, uh, Marlissa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. What brought you into this uh, field? So I'm a registered dietitian and a certified diabetes educator, and I see probably about 60 patients a week. And sometimes, um, back I'd say about 2007, I had been in practice for a while. Some people had come in that were very, very ill, and it turns out that the the root of all their illnesses had come from a gluten-related disorder, and I was able to help them and get them better. And that in itself was enough for me to start digging deeper and deeper and becoming more and more of an expert at that point. I mean, one woman, I mean, she was so violently ill and she told me, you know, it was all autoimmune and she's like, I know there's got to be something at the base. I mean, she had lost all her hair and she had a thyroid intolerance and she wasn't able to, she was never able to have children because she, um, you know, they had no explanation for infertility and she had chronic pain and and once we found out that she had celiac disease, which is an autoimmune disease, and we put her on that, I mean, she was too old at that point to have children, but the pain went away. She went off a lot of her pain meds. Her hair started to grow back. I mean, it was like, oh, my God, like a miracle for her. And I started to really dig in then and learn more about not just celiac disease, but the other gluten-related issues. So um, it seems like, it, it seems in a way that being gluten-free is is a bit, is coming off now more as trendy than it is. So what do you think is making, is it, is it a healthier diet overall? What, what, what has prompted this sort of modern sensitivity to gluten where it really wasn't as prevalent okay, so before? It's, it's like a multi-level question. So let me, let me, let me break it down into different pieces. Okay. So the first piece is, is why are there so many more people asking for gluten-free and what are the differences for that? Because that's, that's the first piece. And um, back when, um, they used to think, we'll start with celiac disease, which is an autoimmune disease, which is the inability to digest pretty much the protein that's in gluten. And individuals that had celiac disease years ago weren't really being diagnosed properly, so they thought it was a relatively rare disease. They didn't have... As, as much knowledge on the best way to diagnose it. And so those people were people that you might have heard of that were sick most of their life, and nobody really knew what it was. A lot of times when they weren't diagnosed, it was just like, oh, yeah, Ann Kathy or this person, you know, oh, yeah, she's always sick, always sick. You know, there's always in the hospital. Nobody knows what's wrong with her. And that was because of poor, um, you know, diagnostic, you know, procedures and the fact that the doctors thought it was so rare, they weren't looking at it as much. As they learned that it wasn't rare and they got better at diagnosing it, more and more people were getting diagnosed with it because they weren't necessarily typical symptoms. So it didn't always shine out that this is what it is. Then they found another point where people that were having chronic stomach problems and some other things like headaches and some other symptoms that they had no reason no reasonable explanation for, but they were always sick. They found that some of these individuals, when they eliminated gluten from their diet, their symptoms started to get better. And so they started doing studies on it because originally they said, oh, no, that's no crap. They don't need to follow that. They, they, they are not celiac. They don't have to go gluten-free. But they said, you don't understand. When I stop eating gluten, I feel better. I feel better. And it turned out that there was a reason for it. So there's individuals that have something called non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And those individuals, when they completely remove gluten from their diet, the symptoms go away. So those are two medical reasons that 
is increased of people asking for it. And there's other medical things that have come out too. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of FODMAPs. Have you ever heard of FODMAP? It's like no. F-O-D-M-A-P. So FODMAPs is this, a lot of people that are going to the gastroenterologist that are being diagnosed with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, are being told to follow this low FODMAP diet. They might not even know it's called FODMAP unless they look at the top of the paper the doctor gave them. You know what I mean? They give the paper, they say, follow this diet, but on the top it says FODMAPs. And FODMAPs are different types of carbohydrates that some people have difficulty digesting. And gluten is a high FODMAP choice. So some people that are sensitive to that category, even though they don't have celiac disease and even though they don't have non-celiac gluten sensitivity, may not be able to tolerate a lot of gluten because of the fact that they have this IBS related to the FODMAP. So these are three different medical reasons that the celiacs and non-celiac gluten-sensitive people can't have any gluten, not even a crumb, where the FODMAP-related people can have small amounts. And then there are diets that are out there that people are following, some that are fad and some have science background that are also low to no gluten. And that's why we hear gluten, gluten, gluten everywhere today. So is it, um, is it something that if people cut it out of their diet, they would be healthier? Or is it something where if you like, you know, if you, if you don't eat meat, then you have to replace some of the amino acids that you get from eating okay. meat? Okay, so we don't necessarily need gluten in our diet, but it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody that gives it up is going to be healthier from it either. And most people, when they give something up, they substitute it with a like substance. So like, let's say I normally eat pizza, which is gluten because it's made from wheat. And it's wheat, rye, and barley are the components of gluten. So if I eat bread normally or pizza normally, and I go gluten-free, I might decide to get gluten-free pizza or gluten-free bread. And the gluten-free bread and the gluten-free pizza is not healthier than the regular pizza or the regular bread. A matter of fact, sometimes because of the different starches they mix in with the gluten-free flours, if you don't get a special type of a blend, you might actually have less nutritional value in some of the gluten-free substitute products. However, if you go to like more of a healthy food choices where things are going to be like fresh prepared, like I'm going to get like a quinoa salad, um, you know, with chopped vegetables, or I'm going to get more things with beans in it, or I'm going to get, you know, if I have a bread, it's going to be a multi-grain gluten-free bread. You know, it's going to be easier maybe on my digestive system because gluten is a large protein and hard, hard to digest. And it would be healthy. But if I just substitute gluten-free regular pretzels for gluten-free and such, the gluten-free pretzels probably are less healthful. So So, it's really how you do it, not just what you do. so So gluten arises in foods that have wheat, barley, and what was the third thing you said? Rye. Rye. Right. And, And the biggest problem is actually, you know, it's not the obvious thing. Like, you know, you would know that, like, you know, if they made something that was called barley malt, there would be barley in it. But sometimes they add barley as a natural flavoring, or sometimes they'll add wheat in something you wouldn't suspect, like in a salad dressing, or most of the soy sauces, not all of them, but most soy sauces and teriyaki sauces have gluten in them. So, so you would look at something and not, like somebody said, I had a soup and I didn't put anything in it, it's just vegetables. But did you buy bouillon cubes that had gluten in it? So people usually get messed up from those add-on items when the obvious things they can usually see. So if you're walking down a buffet line and you have celiac or gluten sensitivity where you're going to get sick from a crumb, you know, you can't just look at the food and say, I can eat this. You hmm. need much more information. You know, so you can't just go to a party where everybody did a potluck. You have to ask everybody what they put in their recipe. It's socially very difficult, 
you know, without, you know, full disclosure. So, so if you eliminate those grains from your diet, you can, you can still eat, like you can still have ice cream or you can still have, if it doesn't have those grains in it or you right. can still Right, so like have, if I go to an ice, right, so if you go to an ice cream place where they're double dipping the same scoop to scoop, like they went to the cookie ice cream to the regular ice cream, then that ice cream's contaminated. But a fresh container of ice cream or the soft serve ice cream, most of the time is gluten-free unless they put something in it to change that. So it's it's really eliminating uh, eliminating the the grain the co- great contribution of gluten from the grains. So can you have those other grains? Only, only those. Oh yeah, everything. There's amaranth and the sorghum and there's teft and there's you know there's buckwheat which you would think has wheat but it doesn't. There's different kinds of rices and there's I mean there's so many grains and bean flours like chickpea flour or garbanzo bean flour or white bean flour or you know, pea powder. I mean there's so many grains and beans and 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 starches that are made into flours that can be added into um, gluten free cooking. There's no limits on the amount of grains. I mean unfortunately they use a lot of rice in a lot of the things and you're not getting a nice variety. You really want to get a variety of grains. Um, but yeah, you can have plenty of things. You can be totally healthy, gluten-free, but it's like anything else. Some people go vegetarian, but they're not healthy vegetarians. They're living ramen noodles and bagels all day. So it really depends on if you do things in a healthy way, it will be healthy across the board. And, and to be healthy, basically, you need a balanced diet is, is what you're saying. Yeah, because, you know, when you leave something out, you're leaving something. (laughs) You leave something out, you've left something out. There was something that was there that might have been necessary that you're not even aware is necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't have to eat. Like, it's like if I couldn't eat peaches and I go my whole life or I can't eat apples, I can go my whole life healthily and have other fruits and be fine. It's not like I'm going to have a problem just by giving up peaches. It's ergo the same thing with wheat. You know, if I switch from wheat and I'm having now, you know, buckwheat and rice and amaranth, I'm fine. I'm having, but if I totally gave up grains and I totally gave up fruits or I totally gave up vegetables, I'm leaving something out that has components in it that are going to be healthy for me. And so you have to make sure that you replace those things that you're, you're leaving out. And you so, want to do it if possible with a food source, because we only put in supplements, the things that we've already figured out that we need. So we don't know what might be missing that we didn't figure out yet. So a lot of these diets that, you know, sort of say no carbs or no fat or no whatever, you, you can suffer, you can have, uh, be affected by being on that kind of diet for any extended period of time in ways you might not be aware Yes, your body, your body is compensating for the things that you left out. The macronutrients, the fat, the carbohydrate, and protein are essential for human life. If you leave something out, your body tries to do things to make it another way. Your brain, the only fuel it uses is carbohydrate. Your brain lives on carbohydrate. Now, there are people living not eating carbohydrate, and you'd say, well, how are they living? Well, because their body is converting their protein into carbohydrate. I mean, their body needs, your body needs something. It tries to figure out another way to get it. It's not, it's not the best way for your body to get it, to force your body to try to make it an alternative way. It's better to give your body the right amounts that it needs from the healthy sources. But most people will say, well, leave it out. I lost weight faster. Yeah, because your body was doing all kinds of crazy things to make it up for you, but it doesn't mean your body's happy with you doing that. 
Yes, some people need less carbs than others. Some people need less fats than others. Some people need more fats than others. People are individuals. We all don't need the same things, and we have different health histories. But you need to know what you need to do for you to make it so that you get optimum health. And you just can't just go from diet to diet to diet and expect that your body's going to be happy about it. So how, how do you make an, a, a real assessment of what you need? Like, I hear, like, even people saying, you know, no sugar or no, you know, I, how do you know what you need and what you don't need? How do you really tell well, if your body well, I, can I, make all these things? It's a good question. I mean, I certainly wouldn't go searching on social media to see what somebody else said on Facebook. You know what I'm saying in that way? I would definitely want to go to somebody that had at least some sort of extended training in that field to help me get my information. So like when somebody says that they have a degree in something, some states have licensing and some states don't. You just want to ask them, hey, where did you go to school for that? How long did it take? You know, to get an idea that they have at least solid background. And then you want to sit down. Like I'm a registered dietitian. Registered dietitians throughout the country is a, a recognized. They have to at least gone to school for three, I mean, for four years and an internship and pass a test in nutrition and medical. So at least they can go through your health history with you, can look at your medications with you, can discuss the findings that you got from reports with your doctors, discuss your personal habits and help you come up with a plan that would fit you better. If somebody gives, if you go to somebody that's a specialist in an area and they give everybody that comes into their office the same plan, you might need to find a different specialist, even if it's the same credential, because some people just do the same thing over and over. And some people are definitely more individualized approach, but that's what I would do. I mean, I don't know like about cars. So like if I have to fix something with my car, I need to ask somebody that really knows about cars, you know, I don't want to just like, you know, go on the street and say, hey, what car do you think I think I should do? I want somebody that's a professional to be working on my car, just like on my body. I want a professional person that understands it to be working with me. So what you're saying is that the key to being to longevity and health is really the traditional balanced diet that we we grew up on. No, not necessarily grew up on tailored for you. Mm-hmm. tailored for you. So I have people that come into my office that have different needs, you know, whatever it is. Some people need to gain weight. Some people need to lose weight. Some people have disorders. They have diabetes. They have heart disease. They have hypertension. They have kidney disease. They need things that's tailored to them. Some people don't know how to cook. Some people never want to cook. Some people always go out to eat. How do you make their lifestyle fit what they need for their body so that it's easier for them to follow so they do it for their lifetime? I see. So let's say uh, you're struggling, your diabetes runs in your family and you are uh, and you're concerned about, uh, you know, your weight. Um, You know, you go on the Internet and they say, you know, have a low carb, no carb, sugar free diet. That might not be a good thing for you then. You may need some. Some carbs. Matter of fact, the American Diabetes Association, which is an authority on diabetes care um, in this country, they have a, if they have the standards of care that come out every year, if you go to the American Diabetes Association Standards of Care 2019, there's a whole document of what they say is standard for people that have diabetes and as well as it would be similar for people that are trying to prevent diabetes. And the minimum amount of carbohydrates they say a person even with diabetes should have is 135 grams a day. And, and I don't know how much that is. 
Um, so let's pretend if let's say we're going to have a sandwich, you and I are going to go out and have lunch and we're going to have a regular sandwich with regular bread. Most slices of bread have between 15 and 20 grams of carbs. So if I have a sandwich for lunch, I'm having between 30 and 40 grams of carbs. So if I had, let's say an English muffin in the morning, which would be maybe, you know, 20 grams of carbs, a piece of fruit, a large fruit in between might be 30 grams of carbs. A sandwich at lunch might be 30 to 40 grams of carbs. So it's pretty much like eating six times a day, like three meals and three snacks with some carbs. Five crackers might have 15 grams of carbs. So it's like a few carbohydrate foods with maybe something like a protein or a fat or some vegetables throughout the day. So I would mix my meal. I have my sandwich. I might have had turkey might have been my protein. My sandwich was my bread with my carbs. I might have that with a salad with just vegetables in it, which is my vegetables. I might have a little oil on it, which is my fat. Um, so it's a combination of fat, protein, and carbohydrates split evenly throughout the day in an easier way for your body to use it and handle it. You split it up throughout the day, it's, it makes it work better for your body. It makes it easier for your body. You're less hungry. You don't overeat. Um, it also makes it so that you don't have to work your heart as hard. Um, skipping meals and having large meals works your heart. I mean, there's so many things that happen in our bodies that we don't always understand. But I find that if somebody's trying to prevent diabetes, if they exercise more often, increase their, their fluids, especially water, split their carbs evenly throughout the day with their proteins and their fats, including lots of vegetables, that those things in itself helps reduce their risk of developing diabetes. So it it seems like it's actually pretty simple and pretty doable if people understood sort of what the what the rules were and got professional advice on and get got a tailored plan. That's yes. Just have somebody hold your hold your hand just a little bit. And some people, of course, are going to need more help than others, and it's not necessarily because of the education. Sometimes it's because they need the support. So you might be somebody that has the education that needs the support. You have somebody else that you know, doesn't have the education or needs continual reminders of things to go forward. So different people need different things. Um, most of the time, nutrition is covered now under many of the insurance plans. Mm-hmm. And most practitioners, if people aren't covered, usually have packages that are reasonable enough for them to at least get a few visits, you know, without, you know, breaking the bank. And in assessing a good practitioner, you you said, number one, no one-size-fits-all plans. If the person uses a one-size-fits-all plan, that's not a good nutritionist. What else should they, when they talk to somebody, should they, when they're interviewing someone, what should they look for as a sign of so, a good so, nutritionist? So most of the time when they, when they go to pick an appointment with somebody, they might not get to speak to the person, just like when you go to the doctor. So you want to talk to the, the, the receptionist or the person, the secretary that they have. If you're not getting to talk to them, you can just say, what's involved when we have an appointment? Um, you know, how often do they usually see people? Um, do they customize plans? Or do they have one kind of plan that they usually go for? Then I might do a Google search online just to see if other people have made comments. I mean, if there's only one comment online that's a bad comment, usually people that complain tend to rate more often. So there's only one review. I wouldn't use that. But if you can see multiple reviews or multiple things about that practitioner, mm-hmm. um, some people have done a lot of community things, have done a lot of presentations, have done a lot of workshops, and there'll be a lot of information about them. And you'll be able to, if you go to their website, there should be information. Sometimes they have a mission statement that they'll list and you get a feeling for the person. You don't want to go to somebody that, that looks like that they're just going to be completely in one direction and push, push, push you. Like let's say you're happy at a 
medium weight, let's say your ideal body weight is 130, but you're happy at 150. You don't want somebody that's going to try to push you to be 130 because that's what the charts say. If you're happy at 115, that's what you want. You want somebody that hears what you say, not right. just hears themselves talk. Because your point, your point you made was you have to be physically fit and act and be able to be active and comfortable in your body. That's basically absolutely. What you're you want to be. You want to achieve what makes you feel good about yourself, not with somebody else's ideal of what you should be. Yeah, it's a very good, very good point. Um, well, this has been really enlightening for me because it takes away the pressure of, you know, conforming to fad diets or uh, other people's expectations of how you should be eating or, you know, what what you should be doing and it also recognizes the thing that's really important is that if somebody really has a sensitivity to this it's a serious problem it's not a fad and um, that's right. that take them seriously yeah they should be considered if you if you are if you have celiac disease or any of the other issues surrounding uh, problems related to gluten they should be taken free seriously just like someone with a peanut allergy or anything like that. I mean, it's sort of in the same category. Medical condition is a medical condition and people need to understand that and treat you appropriately for it. Well, I, I hope you'll come back and talk to us again. If somebody wants to re reach out to you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Okay. So, um, I have, um, T wellness, T W E L L N E S S dot net is um, my regular business website. Um, on Facebook and um, also on Instagram, Marlisa Brown 8. And um, so if you're looking for someone to speak to this subject or you're looking for a consultation, uh, please reach out to Marlisa Brown. Um, she'll take care of you, the person, in a plan that's just appropriate for you. This is Minda Wilson for Urgent Care.